For many travelers, once you've enjoyed Paris, spending some time relaxing down on the farm sounds pretty good. Hi, I'm Rick Steves. The French have made it easy to arrange a rural vacation by renting a room or an entire farmhouse with an accommodation system they call gîtes. Steve Smith, an American who owns a gîte in Burgundy, is here to let us in on how you can spend a week or two decompressing the way the French do. And for a rich experience in Central America, we're getting a peek at Panama from guidebook author Bill Fryer. There's much more than the Canal Zone, and it's just waiting to be discovered. You just need to know what to look for and what to look out for. We're laying low on the French countryside, swinging through the jungles of Panama, and taking your calls. It's all coming right up on Travel with Rick Steves. But first, this. Travel with Rick Steves is brought to you by American Airlines. With their new Advantage Award booking tool, it's easier than ever to book to over 800 Advantage Award destinations online at aa.com. American Airlines knows why you fly. There's so much more to Panama than its canal. We'll swing through the cultural and natural wonders of this plush country with its intense jungles and its friendly people coming right up on Travel with Rick Steves. And so many Americans tour Europe in the frantic, if it's Tuesday, it must be Belgium style. But there's a slow, much more relaxing alternative popular among Europeans. It's renting self-catered apartments by the week. We'll learn all about the French system of by-the-week rented self-catering apartments coming up on Travel with Rick Steves. First, your calls and emails. 877-333-RICK Or you can email us at radio at ricksteves.com And we have Louise on the phone in Connecticut. Thanks for your call. How are you doing? Oh, fine, thank you. Great. What is your uh, where are your travel dreams taking? Well, you? I've been to France twice, and I'd like to return, and um, I'd like to spend maybe three or four days in Paris, and then take the TGV to Avignon. Yeah. I was hoping to maybe take a cooking class in Avignon, and then rent a house in the south of France in Provence. Uh huh. For maybe three to four weeks. Sounds great. And I wasn't sure how to go about doing this. I'd like to stay a whole month in Provence. Yeah. See, that's that's really a special kind of travel. It's, uh, you know, to be honest, it's not my, my style of what I do in my guidebooks. I'm usually running around and sightseeing. Right. But I think it's a wonderful way to go, and people who do this absolutely love it. You're just going to have to do some research on your own on the web. I see. And it's a huge industry now in France and in Italy uh, of people renting out cottages, self-catered apartments or, or cottages, that meaning they've got their own kitchen, in the countryside. And France has a wonderful system called the GITES. G-I-T-E-S. Yes. And these okay. are uh, countryside farmhouses and, and so on, or just cottages, renting not by the day, but only by the week. And, oh, I see. And they're quite inexpensive, generally in gorgeous situations, but you want to do your research. Mm-hmm. And that'll give you that uh, you're in Provence kind of experience, I think. Yeah. See, I've mm-hmm. already taken two trips, and one was around France, mm-hmm. and that was wonderful. That was a tour. And then um, I met a, a friend in uh, for lunch in Paris. She was in... Um, shot studying for two weeks oh yeah and she says would you like to extend we'll have one more week and then we'll meet in, in paris wow so that was great i just spent the time in paris yeah well i could spend more time in paris than anywhere in europe i think i know yeah um go to my website at ricksteves.com and there's a search engine there and just type in gites g-i-t-e-s and you'll get all the information we have on gites in france all right. And then you can also Google uh, Jeets. And there, there is an actual organization, uh, a formal organization, where they book uh, the rooms through the Jeets. And you'll see what your options are. I see. Yeah. That's but great. That's a great way to travel. And uh, you'll find France is a good, a good value these days. And uh, a lot of people are um, kind of wondering how the French are receiving Americans these days with all the things going on politically. And from my experience and, and the experience of the many people we've taken around France in the last year, we've taken more than 1,000 people around France on our tours in the last year, uh-huh. you will be received as an individual, regardless of what they think of your government's foreign policy. The French people will treat you with respect. If somebody doesn't, you just got to write them off as a crackpot, you know, because there are But I had no problem at all, and especially if you attempt to speak French. Yeah. I thought they were very cordial. You know, that's a key thing, isn't it, is just to understand there are real cultural differences. And I find a lot of Americans, they just don't quite get it. You know, they, they complain about, about about slow service, for instance, in a restaurant, when actually that's the most respectful kind of service. That's right. And they don't want to turn the table. You're there all night. And if they brought you the bill quickly or if they brought you the, the next meal too quickly, that would be 
rudeness. That's how you treat tourists that you don't respect. But if That's they're right. respecting you, they want you to stay the whole evening and have a wonderful time. So the key there is the Americans got to uh, be a little bit humble about jumping to conclusions that they were being treated rudely and uh, do their best to learn about the uh, language. Don't compare it to back home. Learn about the culture, you know, uh, but just enjoy it as for what it is. It's, it's well, I liked it so much that I want to return for the third time. <laughs> good for you. So. Well, well, good luck on your trip, and uh, we'd love to talk to you again. Thank you so much. Thanks for your call, Louise. Bye-bye now. Bye. I'm Rick Steves, and this is Travel with Rick Steves. I want to take you now to Panama. I've got with me William Fryer. He's the author of The Moon Handbook to Panama. And uh, Bill grew up, actually, in Panama, right near the banks of the Panama Canal. And uh, he's had quite a a great opportunity to develop an expertise on Panama. This is his third Panama-related book. And it's just great to have you with us. Thank you very much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. Bill, you grew up in Panama. And uh, I think there's been a lot of change in the last couple of decades in Panama. And from a tourism point of view, what's what's the latest? Is it... uh, is it a trendy place to go? Is it a comfortable place to go? Uh, how does it relate to... Everybody goes to Costa Rica, for instance. Why would somebody go to Panama instead of Costa Rica? Yeah, there has been a tremendous amount of change in, in the last 20 years, especially in the last 10 years. And most of all, since uh, the turnover of the canal to Panama in the year 2000, it's become very important for Panama to build up its tourism now that it's, it's lost basically the uh, resident expatriate community that it had in Panama in the form of the people that lived in the canal zone. And so it's, it's been ma- making a real effort to increase tourism the last couple of years. So until 2000, a big part of the economy and the whole scene was the Panama Canal-related American expatriate community? That, that was a big part of their kind of internal tourism. Um, and so it was, it was tough for Panama when all those Americans left. So now they're trying to make more of an effort to attract foreign tourists. It's become a, a very uh, big priority for Panama. So really before it was sort of an R&R thing for uh, Panama workers. Yes, and for, and for the U.S. military. Right, and that's uh, all gone now. That is all gone. There's, there's no more U.S. So Pan- Panama controls the canal. Is that good for Panama? Are, they, are things going well with the canal? The canal has, has been going very well. Um, one of the first things Panama did when it took over is it raised uh, the toll revenues. And so now it, it contributes about a... $250 million a year uh, is, what, is what they take in in toll revenues each year, which is, hmm. contributes a great deal to the economy. But it's actually only a, a relatively small part of the overall Panama economy, which is very oriented towards other kinds of services. It's an international banking destination, and it has the second largest uh, free zone in the world after Hong Kong. So a banking destination, meaning you've got numbered accounts there and so on? It, the, the, Panama has uh, the dollar as its uh, currency, and it's a major um, international banking center. But why would somebody bank in Panama? I mean, there must be some sort of way to hide money or get around taxes. No, that's, that's, the, Panama's trying to make that more of a thing of the past. Um, there's, mm. with the internet, the move towards international transparency in their laws. Now, you know, I would imagine a big part of the uh, tourist industry in Panama is simply people taking cruises that go through the Panama Canal. That's right. Um, hundreds of thousands of people transit the canal each year. Um, but only in recent years have they, they've actually been stopping in Panama. And it's, it's been kind of a frustration, I think, for a lot of cruise passengers who uh, cruise through the canal and they, they come across Panama City and they see this amazing city. Um, it's, Panama City is actually a very cosmopolitan place, which is a, lot of, a big surprise to a lot of people. And you mean the cruise ships didn't even stop? A lot of them went straight straight through and just uh, continued on to Costa Rica, which is a better-known destination. Right. Well, frustrating for the passengers, but also frustrating for people who'd like to make a little money with some tourism, uh, people stopping all those high rollers on the cruises, getting out and <laughs> doing some shopping, right? That's definitely the case. So is that changing? Are, are cruise ships stopping in Panama now a little they, bit more? They are stopping more. There are uh, cruise uh, ship um, ports that have been built, and um, there's more of an effort to cater to cruise ship passengers. I bet it has occurred to them that that could be a precondition for using the Panama Canal is to stop and dump your passengers out for a day or two. No, um, the, the canal is, is open to anybody who wants to, to transit it. Any uh, ships of any nation um, are allowed to transit. Okay. Now, i got to say, everybody loves Costa Rica. If I'm traveling all the way down there and Costa Rica's right next door, why would I go to Panama? Yeah, that, that's, that's a good question, and most people, as you know, do choose to go to Costa Rica over Panama, mostly because they've heard of Costa Rica, and they have very little image of Panama. Um, my feeling is that for people that kind of want uh, a, a, you know, a well-traveled route, Costa Rica is probably the way to go, because it has, um, its tourism is, 
is much more established than Panama's is. But for people who, who go to Costa Rica or who are thinking about going to Costa Rica and don't want to deal with as many tourists, um, a lot of them choose to go to Panama because it is still a place that is being discovered. Um, it's become kind of, it's kind of got on people's radar in the last couple of years, but it's still a place where you can go on a dry season weekend uh, to the beach and not find anybody else there. You so, can. like Honduras, this would be the undeveloped alternative to Costa Rica with some of the same natural wonders? Very much so. About a quarter of the country is uh, protected, national protected land, hmm. and um, it has some of the, the largest uh, tropical forests left in the Americas. But um, it's interesting. It's an interesting combination because it's, the tourism is undeveloped, but the country itself is not. So it's more expensive than Honduras? It's more expensive than Honduras, although you can still, in Panama, even in Panama City, you can find a hotel room that's perfectly clean and safe for about $10 a night. Wow. And you can eat um, you know, very simple food for less than $2. Would there be uh, more dollars accepted, more English spoken and so on because of the whole Panama Canal experience? Well, the U.S. and Panama have a history that goes back to um, more than 100 years, and the U.S. was instrumental in um, making Panama a country, which gained its independence in 1903. It's not just that the dollar is accepted. The, the dollar is the currency. It's officially called uh, the Balboa, but in fact it is the dollar. Hmm. English is, is fairly widely spoken um, and it's becoming more so. And uh, the infrastructure is good. There are good roads. The water is safe to drink almost anywhere in the country. Now, politically, my hunch was that Noriega was uh, demonized and uh, and uh, taken out of the country uh, by the United States, and uh, he was more the uh, popular with uh, uh, the local, the d- indigenous people or the lower classes uh, in uh, Panama. And now we have a more American-friendly kind of government there. Is that uh, too cynical, or, or what's your take on the whole um, Noriega and the current government? Well, I'd, I'd say it's it's kind of a bit more complex than that. Um, but Noriega was removed from power in 1989 with the U.S. invasion. And for many Panamanians, consider um, the whole Noriega years uh, of kind of a dark, the dark days that are well behind them. And they're kind of, I think some are, are kind of surprised that it's still so much in the, in the consciousness of uh, Americans in particular, mm-hmm. North Americans in particular. Um, since 1989, Panama has restored democracy. Um, they've abolished the, the military. And they've had a a number of peaceful elections. Wow, no military in Panama. No military in Panama, no. That's it's beautiful, just like Costa Rica. Just like Costa Rica. And, uh, well, that's a good sign because my understanding is in Central America, militaries uh, really are necessary only to defend their governments against their own people. <laughs> yes, unfortunately, that has often been the case. And uh, that's a compliment to the government, that they don't need a military. Yeah, it's Panama is, in spite of the reputation, that it, it still has with some people as being a, a place that's in foment of some kind or unstable. It's, it's been a, a peaceful democracy since 1989. Okay, it. so its image is, uh, if, if, if somebody has an image of Panama being a little unstable, that's just flat out wrong. You find it com- completely stable? I, uh, well, you, you can never mm-hmm. say anything is completely stable, but... From a tourism point of view, you go From a tourism point of view, yes, relaxed. I would say very much so. It's, it's been a quite peaceful place. More on the fun and challenges of Panama, coming right up with William Fryer, the author of The Moon Handbook to Panama. This is Travel with Rick Steves. Travel with Rick Steves is brought to you by American Airlines, with 4,000 flights to 250 cities in some 40 countries around the world every day. It's easy to book your next flight at aa.com. American Airlines knows why you fly.
Merhaba ben Mehlika Seval. Rick Steves'le seyahat edelim. This is Turkish for saying Hi, I'm Mehlika Seval. Let's travel with Rick Steves. Now in Turkish. Merhaba ben Mehlika Seval. Rick Steves'le seyahat edelim. I'm talking, by the way, with Bill Fryer, who's the author of The Moon Handbook to Panama. You know Panama because your parents uh, raised you there, right? My mother did, Your yes. mother did. So, uh, But if you just stumbled into it, you're actually saying it would be a great alternative to Costa Rica for somebody who wants something a little bit more offbeat, less commercialized, less touristed. The thing, the thing that I hear when I'm down in Panama and, and I talk to uh, tourists who have been to Costa Rica and have been to Panama, the thing I've heard some, several of them say is, when they, especially when they go hiking in the forest, they say, this is the real thing. Wow. And they mean that often in many places in Costa Rica, it's, it is a very pleasant place to go because you can go to a lot of the natural attractions and find paved trails, very good infrastructure, and, and lots of other tourists. But when they come to Panama and they want to go for a hike, a 20-minute drive outside of Panama City and you're in real tropical forest and wow. you'll probably be the only people walking that trail. So if you want Jurassic Park, <laughs> I think Panama is definitely a, a place. But beyond that, too... Panama has, you know, islands, um, it has highlands, whitewater rafting, very good beaches. Bill, let's go to some of our callers here. we got Velma in Minneapolis. Velma, thanks for calling. Hello, thank you. Yeah, how are you doing? Good. I was curious about um, U.S. population there. I was there in 87, and, you know, it seemed like the U.S. was predominant in terms of, you know, how the military bases be- being there, and I'm just wondering if U.S. Citizens have moved there, you know, stayed there after the military left or retired there. Is Panama a place Americans have gone? Panama is becoming, um, it's, it's kind of experiencing a, a boom in, um, in ex- resident uh, in expatriates deciding to retire there. Um, when the canal was turned over in 2000, the canal zones, uh, the, the, the U.S. Uh, military left completely. And uh, large parts of what was the canal zone are now... Um, relative ghost towns, although they're mm. beginning to be developed. So and some, some Americans did choose to retire to Panama or stay on to work, continue to work for the Panama Canal under the control of Panama. But in the last few years, a lot of other North Americans, both Canadians and U.S. citizens, have started coming down to Panama to retire, especially in Boquete, which is a highland area in, in western Panama and in Bocas del Toro, which is an archipelago uh, near the Costa Rican border in the Caribbean. All right. Thank you, Velma, for the call. Thank you. Yeah, we have Jack in Quincy, California. And, uh, Jack, you just got back a couple days ago from Panama. Uh, How was your experience there? It was very nice. I've uh, been to Panama probably uh, ten times, and I've watched it develop quite a bit, uh, especially out in the provinces that um, Bill just mentioned. Right. Uh, Boca de Toro and uh, Boquete the, is in Cherokee. One thing I like about those areas is it's very uh, cosmopolitan in that they have a lot of travelers from a lot of different countries, mostly European countries. Bill, uh, Jack is talking about Bocas del Toro and Boquete. Can you explain uh, a little bit about those places? Bocas del Toro is probably the hottest uh, tourist destination in Panama right now. It's a chain of really beautiful islands not far off the Caribbean coast of Panama, near the, near the Costa Rican border. Very beautiful islands. There's, there's very nice beaches and good snorkeling. And um, it's kind of taken off as a tourist destination and a, and a retirement haven. Hmm. And like the caller said, there, it's, it's a very international mix of people there. There are a lot of Italians, uh, Germans, French, Spaniards who come there to visit or have open hotels and restaurants. You can actually get quite a, quite a variety of cuisine now in, in Bocas. I've noticed that just in the last few years, it's really changed a lot. Some worry that it's growing too fast. It's right. really exploding. We're talking with Bill Fryer, who's author of The Moon Handbook to Panama. We've got Jack on the phone from Quincy, California. Hey, Jack, you were just there a few days ago. Tell me about the cost of uh, living for a traveler in Bocas del Toro and these uh, uh, idyllic islands off of the Caribbean coast. Well, uh, as Bill mentioned earlier, you can get $10 a night rooms. I uh, I choose to stay at a place uh, that is roughly $24, $25 a night. It's right on the water. It's got a deck that looks out over the um, the marina. That's a good point. Whenever I'm in a country where I can get a decent room for $10, I spring for the classy room for $25. (laughs) 
And uh, what about eating? Can you can you eat pretty reasonably? Uh, yes, I think the prices in Bocas have gone up a little bit. But for instance, in Boquete, if you go to a local cafeteria style restaurant, uh, you can get a nice meal for like a dollar eighty, two dollars. Two bucks for a meal. No, I, I understand Bocas del Toro is a, a string of islands. What's Boquete? Boquete is a, a mountain town in the west end of the country. It's over ten thousand feet high. How are Americans received there, Jack? Uh, I've had no problems. They're very friendly people. Uh, I think in like any big city, Panama City, there are certain areas that you might not want to uh, walk around in at night. But as far as the people, they're very welcoming, and they're doing quite nicely um, economically now because of the tourism. That's great. And the whole, the whole Panama Canal thing uh, passed by, and Americans are well-received now in Panama. I've always been that, yeah. That's great. Thanks for your call, Jack. Thank you. Yeah, we got Jim on the line from Baton Rouge. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Have you been down to Panama lately? Uh, well, it wasn't lately, but it was a few years back. How was your experience? Uh, I had a fantastic time. I uh, I went a couple of years in a row. I uh, had such a good time. What did you um, like about it? Well, uh, the uh, I was talking about the jungle. It's a triple canopy jungle, and it's like uh, daylight doesn't even get to the floor, and, and if the daylight does, there's something green growing across it. Hmm. And there was more birds and stuff down there to look at, and uh, and a uh, bunch of wild animals and stuff. And what about was, the bugs? I would imagine if there's a lot of birds and a lot of uh, thick foliage, there's a lot of bugs. Well, it was the first time I had seen a, a toucan in a while, and mm-hmm. also I uh, it was a I can't remember the name of it, but it was this monster purple hummingbird. Hmm. It just sounded like a helicopter when it was around you. Wow. Bill, do you have any idea what that might have been? The helicopter. I, I have no idea. There's so many different types of hummingbirds. Yeah, they have. They have. Uh, God, they, they got more hummingbirds in Panama than anything any place else in the world. So, if you're a bird watcher, Panama would be a good place. It is fantastic. Sarah, I had, I had a ball. Sarah from Carlsbad, California, emailed us, and she wonders what bug spray works the best. Uh, <laughs> Bill, do you, how was your experience? Actually, I used Cutter. What's Cutter? Uh, it was a good bug spray. All right. Bill, what do you use? We use cutter in uh, Louisiana also. Well, you would know. All right. That's great. <laughs> usually uh, usually uh, they recommend um, any bug spray that has uh, DEET in it, although you should, should be careful, and, and children should not use DEET. And some people, you know, it's not the best thing for you. But um, a lot of people are surprised that you don't need um, bug spray nearly as, as much as you might think. Um, even in the, the jungle areas, once you get a little bit into the highlands away from the swampier areas, it's surprisingly... A uh, few mosquitoes, and in the urban areas, the mosquito population is kept down because of fear that tropical diseases could return. So it's it's kept down chemically. It's kept down chemically, um, but mostly it's kept down through removing standing pools of water. I see. Um, and and making sure the sewage system works well. Panama was one of the first places in the world that yellow fever was eradicated, hmm. and malaria was brought under control. That was that happened during canal construction days because right. that was so important. And Panama has managed to maintain quite surprisingly high health standards. Now, when a tourist is there, just from a casual, uh, you know, trekking about or enjoying the uh, the nature, are there any real dangers from the bugs, or would it just be a, it's just an, an annoyance? Mostly an annoyance. If you go to the very remote areas, uh, there are still uh, the chance of, of um, a small chance of encountering tropical diseases. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, no. I mean, if you're in the jungle, the best thing is you just need to make sure at night that you sleep in a tent with a, you know, a, either a tent or in a screened-in room. Do uh, budget hotels come with mosquito nets and so on? Um, if, if, yes, they do. If, uh, most, mostly they do if they're in a place where it's likely to be a problem. I would imagine in your Panama handbook you've got uh, tips for staying healthy and so on. Definitely, yeah. All right, Jim, thanks for calling. You bet. All right, happy travels. we got Ralph on the phone in Chicago. What are your thoughts about Panama? I was wondering if uh, there's any issues about foreigners, per, specifically Americans, purchasing property down there. Yeah, that's a very complicated thing. Uh, foreigners are allowed to buy property. In fact, um, foreigners are, in, are, it's a very friendly place for, for foreigners to retire because they want the infusion of, of um, foreign cash. Um, if you're retired, you can retire to Panama if you can prove that you have a pension of at least $500 a month. And anybody can become a permanent resident there if they can prove they have assets of $100,000. And there are other ways to do it. It's just it's a it's a complicated procedure. However, you need to have a Panamanian lawyer. You need to get one that you can trust to do that. But anybody can buy land in Panama. But again, you have to be cautious about it. Um, 
there's a lot of land speculation going on in Panama right now. Central Boquete, the highland town we were talking about, land prices there and then downtown are now comparable to land prices in San Francisco. There's so much speculation going on. So it's important to, to go about it very cautiously, get a lawyer you trust, make sure it's an area that you really want to buy into. I don't recommend doing it as, as speculation. I recommend doing it if it's a place you want to actually live. Wouldn't it be wise to go down there for a few months before committing yourself and staying living in an apartment before you buy something? Absolutely. Um, this is the thing I've, I've noticed a lot as, as I've been going down there the last few years. I see a lot of people who are very excited about moving down there, and some of them remain excited, but others get disillusioned because... A lot of people have a fantasy of retiring to a tropical paradise, but it turns out that's not really what they want, that they, they do miss some of the, the things about home. They don't like the slower pace of life. They can't fit into the foreign culture. Can you live comfortably on a $500 pension? In some places you can. Uh, it really depends. I mean, in, in Panama City, it would be very tough. Right. Uh, in more remote areas, it's, it's completely possible. Pretty nice. Ralph, thanks for your call. Thank you. Yeah. We have Sharon on the line in Federal Way, Washington. Sharon, how are you? Good. Hello. How are you, Rick? Great. Thanks for calling. Thank you. Yeah. What are your thoughts about Panama? Well, I lived there as a military brat when I was a child, and I'm very curious about what's happening to Fort Kobe and Fort Clayton, some of the areas in the canal zone. What are they going to do with those? Fort Clayton has become something called the city of knowledge. Um, it's a place where international research facilities and universities are are setting up there, um, and it's, so it's, it's, it's undergoing a very interesting transformation, but still large parts of it have not been developed at all. Hmm. Other parts of it are being sold um, as, you know, being fixed up and sold as housing. The place that, is, that has changed the most is Albrook Air Force Base. What was Albrook Air Force Base? It is now a kind of upper-middle-class um, residential community. Hmm. So and they've taken these Air Force bases and turned them into basically gated communities? Uh, in some places they have, yes, hmm. and, and other places are, haven't been developed at all. There, there are large um, areas of the former bases that are really nothing has been done with them. Um, up around uh, Fort, what was Fort Kobe, and there's there's a um, ecotourist development going up. Ah. Now Liz from Arlington, Virginia, emails us, and she asks if there's actually tours of the inactive and active uh, U.S. military bases. Uh, do people actually uh, tour these things and learn about the canal and our military presence there? It is possible to do that, and that's, this is something that people who did live in the canal zone um, ask for when they come down. And so there are some groups that, that kind of specialize in tours for former residents. But also, most of the bases are you know, completely open. Anybody who wants to can just hire a cab and, and tour around and find their old house. Wow. I, I have a lot of nostalgia for that area, and I think a lot of other canal zone brats do, too. Um, I looked at a website called com, and it's uh, all about military brats who um, reminisce about their experiences down there, and a lot of them are thinking about buying land or retiring there now. So you're nostalgic about your time in, as a military brat in Panama, huh, Sharon? That's one of the places. It must have been uh, charming for you. You, you just enjoyed the, the climate and the culture and the tempo of life, or what? Well, first of all, there was no television when I lived there, and so you were on your own, entertaining yourself, interacting with other people. Right. And, of course, the Army bases were in closed areas, and uh, we had a lot of freedom there. Also, the, the foods were wonderful. They had great fruit, fruits I can't even find here anymore. Um, ginnups, for instance. <laughs> I never. And have you ever heard of those, <laughs> Rick? What, what is it, a ginnup? A ginnup, or how about you, Bill? Yes, that's something that, that everybody I think who lived in the canal zone misses. Yeah, uh, they're great. That's, I, that's one great thing about travel is to find new fruits. Yes. <laughs> I, I love it. So, Sharon, this website is CZ Bratz uh-huh, for C- Canal CanalZoneBrats.com. And people can go there and uh, connect with other people like you who are just kind of dreaming about uh, Yes. They have ads for real estate, as a matter of fact, that I've seen there. And then there are a lot of photographs. A lot of people have their photo albums online, so you can look at them. And a lot of old pictures of the military bases. All right. Hey, Sharon, thanks so much for your call. Thank you. I'm talking with uh, William Fryer, who is the author of The Moon Handbook to Panama. Bill, a lot of people are excited about this Darien jungle. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, that is one of the last great, true tropical uh, rainforests in the Americas. It's in the eastern Panama. It's, it's enormous. Um, and it's at, the, at the eastern edge of it is the famous Darien Gap, through which no road has ever been built. Um, it, it, the Inter-American Highway stops there because they were afraid of hoof-and-mouth disease coming up from South America to North America. 
and to this day it remains unbuilt because of concerns about deforestation if, if the road is ever completed. And so you have true wilderness there. Um, if you get too close to the Colombian border, it starts to get very dangerous. It's a fantasy for a lot of people to hike the Darien Gap, but right now because of Colombian um, military activity, it's an incredibly dangerous thing to do. But other parts of the Darien in the western side of it is quite safe. Um, you need to go there with a, a really qualified guide, uh, a naturalist guide who knows his way around. But if you do that, it's just an amazing experience. Bill, very quickly, uh, if somebody's going to Panama, should they spend a little time in Panama City and then just get out of there? I, I think it depends what you want, but nobody should, should go to Panama, I think, without spending time in Panama City. It's the oldest city in, on the uh, Pacific coast of the Americas. It so was, it has some colonial charm. It has a lot of colonial charm. In fact, the colonial section has been rebuilt um, oh. in, in the last few years. It's a, it's a very, it, it resembles um, the French Quarter of New Orleans. And how do they celebrate Carnival in Panama? Um, it's the biggest carnival celebration in the Americas outside of Rio. The entire country comes to a, to a halt wow. for you know, a long weekend of partying. Also, very briefly, give me some tips on cruising now through the canal. Uh, is it a, how can you make the best cruise experience if you want to kind of do two birds with one stone, enjoy a cruise, but get a look at Panama? I would look for cruise lines that actually do stop in Panama, um, since not all of them do, and make sure that you have a little time to do a shore excursion. Um, it's a lot of people like to go on smaller ships because then you, you get the experience of actually going into the lock chambers. You can go down into the lock chambers rather oh. than if you're in a very large ship, sometimes it kind of overwhelms the locks themselves. So most cruise ships do give you a canal experience. I mean, you learn about the canals, you see the canals working and so on. Yes, all of them do. They have guides who explain what's happening as you go through the canal. Wonderful. William Fryer, the author of The Moon Handbook to Panama. Bill, this has been fascinating. Thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Bye now. Sabiendo que están quemando Lo que duró siglos producir Están borrando la selva Por dinero y por maldad Donde una vez creció la guerra Hoy hay cenizas, nada más No voy a dejar de arder No puedo dejar de arder, Darien No debo dejar de arder No voy a dejar de arder, Darien so many Americans blitz through Europe in the frantic if it's Tuesday it must be Belgium mode. But there's a slower, more relaxing, more European style of travel, and it is staying in one spot, spending a week in each locale, renting a self-catering apartment. In France, these apartments are called gîtes, and that's what we're learning about next on Travel with Rick Steves. Sit back, relax, and close your eyes. I'm Rick Steves, and this is Travel with Rick Steves. Right now, we're talking gîtes in France. You know, every country has a system where travelers can rent what they call a self-catered accommodations, a little cottage in the countryside of England, or uh, agriturismo, a farmhouse in Tuscany in Italy, or a Ferriun Vonung, that's uh, an apartment for rent in a cute little village in Bavaria. And in France, they have a very well-established system of self-catering apartments called gîtes, G-I-T-E-S, rural gîtes. I want to know more about this because I'm always traveling too fast, and uh, I think this would be a great way to slow down and really smell the local roses because, as I understand, gîtes rent only by the week or by the fortnight. Uh, Europeans, when they go on vacation, they tend to go to one spot and stay put rather than the typical American traveler who's going and zip around one or two nights per stop. I've got with me a good friend who co-authors my guidebooks on France and has led tours with me through France for about 15 years, Steve Smith. 
actually owns a jeet with his parents in Burgundy. Uh, Steve and his family bought the jeet, fixed it up, and today it's running as a business as well as providing a wonderful base for Steve and his family in France. So we're going to learn more about jeets, and it's great to have you with us, Steve. Bonjour. Bonjour, ça va? Oui, ça va bien, merci. Oh, you speak French. I wish I did. Uh, now, you run a jeet in Burgundy. Well, my family does, yeah. Right. And, and my parents are retired. Mm-hmm. And so um, they are, along with a few locals who help us out, uh, with cleaning the, the apartments and this kind of thing. They're mostly responsible for taking bookings and the like. Um, so first of all, there's a JIT system in right. France. JIT rule, what's the deal? What does that yeah, mean? It, there's, there's an official name in France, um, uh, JIT de France, which is G-I-T-E-S, which is uh, also the name of an organization. It's French, um, run by the government. All right. To help – the purpose of this organization, by the way, and it's, a, it's an umbrella organization that deals not only with country home rental that we're talking about today, but also bed and breakfast, uh, farmhouse stays, uh, hiking huts and the like. Anything to draw originally the French back to the countryside, to these small villages that they have been depopulating relatively recently compared to other European countries in the last, say, 50 years. So France has a problem even more so than other countries of people going to the big cities, abandoning the countryside. It's a more recent problem. Okay. Right. And, and the government has actually put together a program where they facilitate uh, the ability of people who own these properties in the countryside to make a little money off them, maintain them, keep them used by helping big city folks, originally French, get out there and uh, it's a green acres kind of thing. huh? We even got a subsidy. And we're Americans. I mean, really? no the French, French government gave you a subsidy right. to do your little urine Provence thing. Exactly. Wow. Uh, uh, now, in order to receive the money, we had to agree to operate it as a jeet for at least five years, something like that. But it was help money to help us renovate. I mean, it wasn't a lot, but it was. So there's lot. this organization that the French government helps provide, mm. and I would imagine it's web based or it's got directories, guidebooks. What's the? There's what, a good website. Walk for it. me it's, through it here. I'm a I'm a traveler. I want to learn more about my options from a jeet point of view. Uh, where do I get the information? How do I sign up? Well, I think the the easiest to start is www.gites.france.fr. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, the, the best organization, I mean, the best website I found uh, was uh, www.gite-de-france.fr. Well, we'll put all that on our website at ricksteves.com. So anybody who wants to have their magical time in the countryside without spending a lot of money can go there and, and learn more about the specifics. As the traveler, you are able to type into that or get their directory mm-hmm. one way or another, and then you can peruse all the different sheets available throughout France? Yeah, this is – it's important to say that th- through the Gites de France organization, there is something like 7,000 of these country homes. You can even rent one within a short train ride of Paris. Hmm. That's now, again, it's Saturday to Saturday. So, so this is a, a, a sort of a limit fixed. on these. It's fixed. Mm-hmm. By definition, Saturday to Saturday. You want right. One week, two week, or three week. Right. Don't get 10 days four or week. three days. Right. Exactly. Okay. Now, some people will rent our place for four or five days. It's still cheaper than a hotel. Weekly rate. Right. Exactly. Okay. What's your, your place is um, – describe it to me. Three bedrooms, two bedrooms? Kitchen. Yeah. We have uh, two sheets. We have a big farmhouse we restored with uh, two separate apartments in it. Um, it looks out over the Burgundy Canal. It's about 20 minutes from Bonn and 10 minutes up to the wine country, up and over the hill to the wine country. In an idyllic little village. Yeah, it's a cute little small village. And then what would it cost per week to rent? They're both two-bedroom. Each bedroom has its own bathroom, which is more and more the case when people come in and restore these things these days. For um, uh, It's about, what, uh, $500, $600 U.S. dollars, I'll put it that. So say $100 a day for your countryside cottage that could house right. two couples and you cook your own food. Mm-hmm. Oh, you have a kitchen, you have pots, pans. So 50 and... bucks per day per couple. So it's a pretty reasonable way to travel these right. days. Uh, particularly is appealing to families, I think, too, because when you're traveling with children, you want to uh, change hotels, you know, pack okay, and unpack so one, less often. Could a, a mm-hmm. family of... Eight move in there and you wouldn't care? Or are there well, limits? I mean, there, 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 there are limits. In ours, it would be six would be the maximum. Six. Price um, is the same whether there's two people the or same. six. Price is the same. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And there are more expensive sheets with swimming pools and less expensive, frankly, than ours uh, with a little bit less comfort. And they're rated with these uh, little ears of corn instead of stars like you're used to with hotels. It's kind of funny. From one to four stars. Depending on the f- how fancy it is. Yeah, the comfort level. That's okay. right. Okay. Now, so you've got 7,000 of these all around France in larger towns and countryside and so on. Um, when people want to book this, they would just uh, uh, make a reservation. I mentioned it's pretty straightforward, pay in advance. You find your way there. You've got to have, rent a car to get there or something like this. Yeah, almost 
almost by definition you need to rent a car. Mm -hmm. And the reason is these are mostly in small villages. I see. Again, remember, they're to bring the French back to the village. Now, let's say your family, let's say they're stateside now and they're running this thing. You've actually got local people that change the sheets when people are done or how does that work? Oh, yeah. The tradition is, yeah, 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 absolutely. So the sheet system provides employment in a depressed part of the country basically. It helps too. Mm -hmm. Because you got these absentee owners like you guys Mm -hmm. and you got local people in the village without much of an economy. Mm -hmm. You got big shots from the city coming in for a week of vacation. They move out Saturday night. The local people come in, change the sheets, clean it all out, get ready the new people. It's all a nice system that really sounds like somebody in the French government decided this is a very win-win-win-win opportunity. What? It seems like an ingenious move because so many old mills and old historic buildings have been saved from destruction, from um, dereliction by encouraging people like us, mostly French obviously, to do this and to restore their homes. Remember, almost all the French seem to have – I mean that I know – have inherited a second home from somewhere along the generation because their, their parents or their grandparents probably did live in a village. But without some way to get full use out of it, it probably could be a financial burden more than a blessing. Right. And so they were forced to sell these places and the government tried to figure out what can we do about this. To Has keep... it been a success? I think uh, an astounding success. Is your place yeah. uh, full all the time? Oh, yeah. I mean it's as full as my parents want it to be. And when you mention um, absentee, they're there six months a year. Mm-hmm. But they're, they don't care to do the cleaning and maintenance. So it's easy to, as you said, employ people from the village to do that for them. They like to greet the renters. And the renters are um, – our renters are commonly Americans and Brits and sort of a third, third, third in French. Mm-hmm. It's not unusual at all, uh, in part because of people know us, obviously, as Americans, so they're comfortable going there. But the, the business is generated by the government mm-hmm. organization and the government's channels of promoting this. Mm-hmm. So it sort of runs itself and it, and it fills itself. Right. You could even – I mean it depends um, as an owner – use the Gide de France reservation system. We didn't do it because my dad was retired, thought he could handle this and it was fun, sort of an activity if you will. But you can even pay them a 15 percent commission, whatever it is, to do this booking for you. All right. Now, your parents and, and, and you and your wife bought this sheet and had to fix it up. Uh, was that sort of a romantic, fun experience? <laughs> and neither, knowing not a heck of a lot about construction in the United States. And, and I, we were just typical of the, uh, the romantic Americans who think it's well, – I don't know what we were thinking, frankly. It was so long ago, 15 years ago. Um, but it's um, – it's much like the states. If you don't know what you're talking about, you're really not going to know what you're talking about when this, the walls are two and a half feet thick and there's very little wood. It's all stone and mortar, this kind of thing. Um, although I, one thing I will say is almost all the workmen were really good, on time all the time, uh, hardworking, hard, as hardworking as anybody I've seen here. And it was really our um, ineptitude that slowed the process down. Uh, but it was – I mean it's something I, I wish my father would have written a book about <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like Peter Mail did because it's much of his – I mean we didn't buy a gite. Of course, we bought an old farmhouse. It's about 300 years old on the Burgundy Canal and um, I mean learning about septic tanks, learning about French telephone systems and electricity. It's 220 versus 110 here. Were there it's, a lot of requirements from the government that you didn't change the building or could you there just were buy in, an old building? In our case, Rick, and, I, and this isn't unusual because we were within half mile of a 13th century abbey. Frankly, they worked with us. It was, uh, I don't think, any more um, difficult than the permit process here in Seattle, Washington. Okay. So this was a vision. Your parents had a little retirement mm-hmm. money 15 years ago. That's right. They bought this thing, fixed it up. It's a casual business. Earns mm-hmm. a few thousand bucks by the sheet thing. But they really have a retirement home in France. Mm-hmm. Your parents speak kind of broken French. That's right. Yeah. And they're in a little village which doesn't have a lot of Americans. None. Well, None. Just they them. are. <laughs> they are the Americans. And they That's spend right. – they have they, – I mean they're like snowbirds but their snow is French. That's right. I mean, for, for them, it's in, in, it's a marvelous, I think, way to retire. I really do. Six months uh, that they live in Southern California uh-huh. and April through October, they're in France. Wow. And they're accepted by the village? They're in, if you ask my father, I think he says he's more busy socially in France than he is in the same town they lived in in Southern California for the last 40 years. In a small town and he doesn't even, he's not even I fluent think, in French. I think the thing to remember, yeah, they get by. My parents People care. have time to be I social think, in the villages probably. Yeah, in rural Europe. Like in, is anywhere, people have more time, I think, than in cities, and they appreciate the fact that my parents spend time with them and do their darndest to understand what they're saying. Wow, that is great yeah. for somebody Californians thinking, what are they going to do in their golden years? Not a, enough money to to buy a little cabin somewhere, buy it in France, fix it up, 
uh, spend half a year over there. Hey, there are 7,000 JEETs in France, and there's the equivalent in other countries nearby. We've got lots more information on that at our ricksteves.com website. I want to thank my Francophile friend Steve Smith for helping us out, and maybe you've got a little uh, JEET relaxation in your traveling future. Thanks a lot. Merci beaucoup. Au revoir. Au Eight seven seven three 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 Rick. This is travel with Rick Steves. Barbara in Lexington, Kentucky. Thanks for your call. Hi, Rick. How are you doing? I'm doing good. What's on your mind? Well, my daughter and I are thinking about going to Paris, and what would be some of the things that are top on your list of Paris? Uh, how old is your? Who's going with you? Your my daughter, she's 23. She's 23. Okay, mm-hmm. so top on my list in Paris? Yeah. Well, you know, I was... <laughs> where do you start? Where huh? do you start? Yeah, you know, I mean, you can use Paris as a base and side trip out to some wonderful things nearby. If you want to see just one chateau, Chantilly is a wonderful chateau to see. It's got a moat and a drawbridge and trophies and Raphael paintings and the whole works. Uh, if you How want far to, is that from Paris? It's less than an hour by train. Okay. You can go to Chartres and see the greatest Gothic cathedral in Europe with the greatest teacher of Gothic anywhere, Malcolm Miller, who gives two tours a day at Chartres. That's a very nice day trip. I did that. Better uh, than Canterbury? Uh, oh, yeah. No question. All right. <laughs> I mean, that's a little subjective, but, but Chartres gets my vote. <laughs> um, you've got wonderful opportunities to see these palaces. Fontainebleau uh, was uh, Napoleon's palace. Uh, you can go to Versailles, of course, which was the Sun King's palace, Louis XIV. Mm-hmm. It was the palace of palaces in Europe. They, they spent half a year of the entire income of the most wealthy and populous country in Europe building this palace for their Sun King, you know. And to go out there, it's uh, you can see later on in your travels how all the other palaces were just trying to trying to match Versailles, and none of them quite did it. Uh, uh-huh. Versailles is the uh, probably the first side trip you want to take. Um, jazz clubs are a lot of fun in Paris. You could check that out. There's uh, plenty of opportunities now to go. There's some offbeat sites that are a lot of fun. They've got the catacombs. When Napoleon took over, all over Europe, he um, just decreed that they would um, unearth all of the cemeteries around the churches. It was a waste of land, and it was unhygienic. And they moved out the um, the cemeteries, and so now today, when you stand in a in front of a church in Europe, generally, in you know, two hundred years ago, you would have been surrounded by tombstones, and today they're nice open spaces where they have their markets and so on. And you look outside of town, and you see the cemeteries. Well, in Paris, they unearthed all the cemeteries, and they piled the bones in the old. Uh, uh, quarries underneath the streets, and you've got these miles-long quarries that are stacked with literally the skeletons of a million people. Oh, that sounds pretty interesting. How easy is it to get around on the Paris Metro? The Paris Metro, I think, is the easiest in Europe. It's nice because it's one price for no matter how far you go. In London, you pay a short price for a short Uh journey and a very big price for a long journey. You can go in the subways all day long in Paris, um, as the street musicians will tell you, for one easy $1 ticket, you know. Um, But you can go during rush hour. You can get around faster in town by uh, metro than you can by taxi, and it's certainly far cheaper. Okay. Well, that's a that's a good tip. I thought it was it's sort of like London where you had to pay, you know, wherever you're going no. to different districts and such. First thing I do when I get to Paris, um, Barbara, is I take I buy a carnet of 10 tickets and it saves you even more money. Then I've got my little packet of tickets so I can just hop on the metro and go where I want to go, but you got to get them. You got to figure out that metro because it just gives you more you're in control in Paris when you can tame that big city from a transportation point of view by just hopping on the metro and get in there and lickety-split. I'll also remind you that in Paris, hotels are twice as good a value for the same amount of money as, for instance, London. Hotels in Paris, I think, are a steal. You can live very comfortably for 80 euros a night in a, in a nice hotel in Paris. Okay. How um, is it for people who do not speak French, just a few words? 
well, I don't speak French. I speak a few words, but I honestly can't put a sentence together. And, <laughs> you know, I lead uh, tours there, and I write my guidebooks and produce my TV shows and manage okay. I think what we need to do is speak clearly. I speak a little bit more clearly, more uh, robotically, enunciating letters, choosing easy words when I'm in in Europe in general, and in France in specific, because, you know, the French, they're still a little bit, got a little bit of an attitude problem about the language thing. I mean, their language Mm -hmm. used to be the lingua franca. We have a word, lingua franca, it means the language everybody speaks. Well, that's literally the French language. There was a time when the Tsar in in, uh, Russia spoke better French than Russian, and he was proud of it. Uh, If you look at our passports, there's two languages on our passports, English and French, uh, from an old time when French was really a, a dominant language on this planet. Well, it's no longer a dominant language, and businesses are, are, are given financial penalties if they have an English word in their names in France now. You know, they're trying to save the oh. French language. And the French, they want to hear you speak their language if possible. But I think, um, you know, you're going to find that you'll, you'll communicate better speaking English with the French people. They speak better English than we speak French, put it that way. They're going to do you a favor by speaking your language. Do them a favor by speaking it clearly. Choose easy words, no contractions, no slang. Enunciate every letter. Be polite, uh, be flexible, and I think you'll find the French are just uh, just as uh, accommodating and, and friendly as any, any anybody else in Europe. Well, that makes me just want to get right on the plane. Me too. Thanks for your call, Barbara. Okay, thanks a lot. Happy Bye. travels. Bye now. Travel with Rick Steves is produced at Europe Through the Back Door in Edmonds, Washington. You'll find more online in the radio section at ricksteves.com, where you can look up information on today's program and others in this series. You can also submit your questions and comments for Rick from our website to be included on future editions of Travel with Rick Steves. That's where you can also send us your submissions for our 15 Seconds of Fame department and sign up for our Radio Waves email updates. Details are at ricksteves.com. Some of the people who help bring you Travel with Rick Steves include communication support from Sonia Grosset and Robin Goddard, technical support from Dan Suter and Matt Iglesias. Our theme music is composed by Jerry Frank. I'm your producer, Tim Tatton. Join us next time as we travel with Rick Steves. Travel with Rick Steves is brought to you by American Airlines. With their new Advantage Award booking tool, it's easier than ever to book to over 800 Advantage Award destinations online at aa.com. American Airlines knows why you fly.